This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs. We're talking today all about starting the investment journey. So you've decided that you want to invest. Where do we start? And this Future CEOs conversation is proudly brought to you by Coronation. Day in and day out. Since Coronation started 25 years ago, they've never stopped working to earn your trust and make your money work for you. Coronation. Trust is earned. Of course, what we do on Future CEOs every week is we bring in top experts, top individuals, top executives, where they share either their journeys or their insights to help us expedite this process of growth, growth of our business, growth in our careers, and in this case, growth of our portfolio and our wealth. Peter, welcome back to Future CEOs. You're the head of personal investments at Coronation, and I think you're the right person to speak to about this particular topic. Thanks. Great to be here. Peter, let me jump straight in with, with a, a bit of a different kind of question because often what we, we hear is organizations saying invest, invest, invest. But sometimes people have unrealistic expectations around investing. I think an appropriate question to start this conversation is when should you not invest? It's a complicated world that we live in and sometimes people do have unrealistic expectations. That's something that you are experiencing probably on a daily basis. Is that right? That is correct. I mean, I think that there are many different answers um, and we can have a very long conversation just on this point. But the most important issue to understand is that all issues related to money, that's not about what you're going to spend tomorrow, really relates to the incredible power of compounding, Mm. the time value of money, the fact that returns accrue geometrically, um, but the converse of that is when you um, have borrowed money, um, that the cost um, of that borrowing over time also um, accrues geometrically. So, yeah. so if you start with that 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 very simple concept of of compounding, that's we by the way not really hardwired to think about unless we pause and slow down. Mm. Then it clearly doesn't make sense to um, invest with the hope of earning an investment return over time, while you have significant debts that need to be repaid, okay. and especially if that is um, more short term. Uh, and expensive or not asset-backed type mm. um, debt. So, mm. I mean, that scenario probably makes more sense to first get rid of the debt before you start thinking about investing. Okay, so bring what you've just said, which may be a little bit jargony, and bring it into the real world for us. So what, what do you mean by expensive debt? So we're talking about uh, potentially a, a big overdraft on a credit card, and that's expensive because often the interest rate there is very high, and you're saying until that's paid off, don't put money somewhere else. Am I on the right track? That's exactly it. So sorry for the jargon. I mean, the, the essence of it is if you pay 10% or more in your annualist rate, in an annualized rate um, of interest, and if that debt was used for um, consumption, to buy stuff, mm. probably get that paid off first before you start investing. The way that it works is a well put together diversified investment portfolio doesn't matter how you choose to implement it will give you a return of inflation plus four to seven mm. over the, the long run that's what you sort of expect to earn you know, so if inflation is around four or five percent um, where we are at the moment you're expecting to earn a return of somewhere between eight and twelve percent mm. um, that's the reality so if you pay ten percent plus on on short-term debt you effectively making somebody else wealthy because you are paying away Mm. um, the investment return um, to your lender 
so rather rather get that sorted out before uh, before we start thinking about investing. What you've highlighted is such an important part of all of this, and sometimes what we don't often look at, and you've mentioned it, and that that's really the future value of money and the impact that something like inflation has on that. So if we're sitting with a pile of money in the bank, for example, and we think that we're in a good position, what we're actually doing is eroding value on our money over time based on the, the fact that there is... In, there are inflationary forces, and money does doesn't keep up with that. Again, am I on the right track? Inflation is the enemy of the investor, mm. um, because if you think about what you're doing when you're investing, right? I mean, you, you you're not putting money aside for some sort of amorphous other human being. I mean, mm. it's mostly for you, mm. um, future you. That's what you that's what you're putting the money aside for, and what you want is. If you wait patiently for 10 or 20 years um, before you spend the money um, that you've set aside, you would like to have more money to spend than you would have had if you spend it today. Mm. Therefore, you need, this earn that, uh, you need to earn a return that is ahead of inflation. Mm. And 4 or 5 or 6% a year doesn't sound like much, but as the period of time increases, that impact of compounding, because it's geometric and not linear, so mm. um, because the line slopes upwards mm. um, and doesn't stay straight, means that it very quickly adds up to become something very meaningful. Yeah, this this compounding effect, compounding growth, it really is, as we mentioned in the last conversation, one of those, the eighth wonder, because uh, you, <laughs> at one point in, in the journey, will look back and say, I wonder how in the world that happened, either positive or negative, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. If I were to ask, what is Coronation's investment philosophy? And, and I mean, that, that's an appropriate question to be asking before the investment decision is made, is it not? It is important. I think there is one more important um, question, though, before that. Okay. And that is, are you dealing with an institution or a business mm. that is prepared to put your interests before their own? So, mm. i.e., are you dealing with somebody that, acknowledges and recognizes that it's always your money mm-hmm. and that you are choosing um, to appoint somebody um, as a custodian to look after your money. So I think so. any any kind of arrangement where there are complicated exit processes, lock-ins, um, fees that need to be paid before your money can be re- released, all of those okay. are bad for, for, for clients. Mm. Um, you need to be invested in arrangements where Within, within a day or two, you can have your money back because it's your money. And um, unless there's some legal constraints that we, that we may get into later um, with specific product structures. So there's a law that says you can't get the money, but then you need to be allowed to transfer it very seamlessly and easily and without cost to another provider. Yeah, without cost. Um, if you so choose. So that's, that's, a, that, that's the first thing that, that needs to be, be gotten right. Is that, is that um, transparent information? I mean, are, are, are organizations very forthcoming with that? Is, uh, I guess maybe another way to ask that question is I sit in front of someone that's trying to sell me a, a product. Are they obligated to share that information with me or do I have to actually dig myself? So you have to do a bit of digging um, because the – the bigger the sting in the tail, I mean, you would tend to find the more difficult it would be to get the information. So mm. that's normally how it works. Mm. Um, there are there are some regulatory rules about information that need to be made available, but we have a relatively patchy system in South Africa. We don't have the same disclosure requirements and regulatory rules that apply to all types of investments mm. um, and that are available in the market just yet. I mean, so that's something the regulators are 
are planning to address, but it's not quite there. So that is, it is still a little bit of a need to do your own homework um, kind of environment. But um, the hint is, if there isn't, if it, if it isn't explicitly and easily identifiable that it is easy to get your money back without incurring costs, um, that probably is a um, is a red flag. Yeah, where there's smoke, there's fire. It seems. That, no, it's normally the way it works. So, yeah, so, so once you've dealt with that that issue, then you can talk about the then you can talk about investment philosophy, and there there are multiple different investment philosophies that can all work. So there's no there's no market participant that with a a birthright, a crystal ball, mm. um, a black box, a mm. magic algorithm um, that will always beat all other um, investment options out there. So there, there, there are lots of factors at play here. But the most important thing about an investment approach or philosophy is it needs to be simple and it needs to be understandable mm. and it needs to be implemented consistently and with discipline. So in, in Coronation's case, if you simplify what we do down to, to two bullet points, it's First bullet point is if you have a, a long-term horizon, mm. um, we think you have a competitive advantage because there's a lot of pressures in the system to focus on the short term, on this year and next year. And if you are prepared to look out three, five, seven years, even 10 years um, into the future, you will be at an advantage to most market participants. Mm. If, if, if your time horizon is different to most market participants, the second bullet point then is you have to do your own research. You have to do your own work um, to um, assess um, where the opportunities that present most value are available. Okay, so uh, I think that gives us a nice segue into the question of, of products, the opportunities that exist. There seem to be so many. How do we go about tentatively at least at first walking into what can often be quite an overwhelming field of different products? How does that decision work? If you want to, again, simplify it, the three big ticket decisions that you need to get right as an investor, number one, is you need to know exactly what your need as an investor is. Okay. Pack that just now. Um, number two, you need to understand the difference between a product or a tax wrapper, a way to optimize, um, call it the legal and tax consequences of your investment, mm-hmm. and, and, and decide how to implement that. From number three, which is um, the investment approach or the investment philosophy and methodology that you're going to use to achieve um, your your need or your objective. So those are the three things. It's make sure you know what your need is um, and separate the decisions between legal structure, that's for tax and protection, mm-hmm. um, and investment strategy, that's for optimizing the return um, that you want to achieve mutually. So those are the three things to get right. Peter, you know what I appreciate with what you're sharing is that there is a level of work that is required from us as consumers or us as investors, uh, that often is unseen and it is an appropriate level of work because we can't just expect to come to an asset management firm or a fund and just say, here's my money, take it and run. To a certain extent, the onus is on you as an investor to do some of the work, to make some decisions and then own those decisions. Exactly. It's it's all about framing and you are more likely to get the results that um, are appropriate for you if you've chosen the right frame, if, mm. you've, if you've decided 
um, what you want to what you want to do, and it's and it's not as difficult as it sounds because at the first tier of need, there really are only three investor needs. Mm. Um, it's long term growth, yeah, where you want to have more spending power in future, so you want a return that's better than inflation, and you've got sort of ten, twenty, thirty, forty years over which your investment horizon spans. Mm. Um, it's immediate income where you've got a fairly short period of time. If you can't afford to take much risk, um, you're hoping to earn um, a better rate of interest than if you just leave the money in your bank account. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the next year, year or two or three, um, you're going to need to, to access your capital. So it's that sort of immediate income need where, where uh, protection of capital is in the short term is much more important than, than the highest possible return. Mm-hmm. And then the third need is a combination of those two. So that's where you need to draw an income over a long period of time from your investment portfolio. So it's typically somebody in retirement that's living on passive income. Mm-hmm. But you also still need some growth to keep pace with inflation. So you need this sort of balance between I can take a lot of risk to earn growth um, approach and uh, I can take no risk um, because I want the money um, in the short term. So that so that's that, that's the need question. So it's, it's not that difficult to figure out in which one of those three boxes you fit. It certainly it's it frames things as you you've used the word. It helps you to frame the decision where you want to be placing your money. It helps you to understand then the risk associated with that. So what you're allowing us to do is to frame very nicely. But the question rem- remains for me: uh, How do I know what I actually want? Because often we don't know what we want; we just want growth. Where does coronation then come in? Or how do you approach someone who doesn't actually know what they want? That's quite hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, because you, you mean that you mean you 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 mentioned the issue of unrealistic expectations. So mm-hmm. somebody who doesn't know what they want, or quite possibly going to end up with unrealistic expectations mm. because what happens in, in the investment world is that one of the biggest issues that you need to deal with is the concept of uncertainty. Mm. So many things can happen. Only one thing will happen. And mm. um, once the one thing um, that will happen has happened, it's quite obvious why that was the one thing that should have happened. Sure. So er- everything looks very different with the benefit of hindsight. Mm. And if you... If you haven't upfront decided what it is that you want, um, then it becomes quite difficult to have a realistic evaluation of whether the outcome that you got was, was, was any good. Mm. The best, the best sort of guidance that I can give to, to that point is that this, 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 this task of realism, this task of, of what can be done, how things work, um, is a very important part of the process. And one of the big challenges for um, the investment industry, how do you deal with that? So mm. the historical approach and the one that's still by, by far the most prevalent one is to say that because there are fairly complex emotional issues rather than necessarily technical issues that you need to deal with, mm. it helps to make use of a trusted advisor. So vast majority of, of, of assets in the formal savings industry um, have been placed with the assistance of, of a financial advisor. So that's mm. the historical approach. Mm. There's a, a lot of experimentation um, at the moment with algorithmic or automated um, advice and guidance processes. Yep. Um, so to provide a, a better online experience to assist investors with its workout or sort of narrowing down exactly what the, what the objectives are. And over the, over the, over the next few years, I mean, you, I mean, that approach will become 
um, increasingly sophisticated. But in the end, you know that you would you would have to you would have to you would have to do some work um, to figure out what you what it is that you want. So whether you do that work with an advisor or whether you do it um, as a self-directed investor um, using some kind of online tool, I mean, the, the bottom line is you are going to have to um, get to the point where you are comfortable with some of these decisions yourself. Mm-hmm. No, it's, it's a, again a great point. There, there's an accountability here that we must we must must take. Let's talk a little bit about choosing an advisor or a manager because th- that is so important. Because I mean, quite frankly, there are going to be individuals in the world who you can trust and who you can't trust. Or how do we differentiate between those that we can and those that we can't? What are some questions that we we could be asking ourselves and even those individuals that are potentially going to be managing our money? What questions should we be asking? The typical approach adopted by most people is to put their their trust in brands mm. with a track record and a positioning that's very focused and very dedicated to only do the job of investment. So, so independent investment brand, brands such as Coronation mm. have become the market leaders um, for that reason. For advisors, it's a, it's a little bit more um, complex because I mean, you, you, I mean, you've got one of two routes that you can take. So you can also put your trust in a brand. So probably about half of all investment advisors would work for a large financial institution, typically an insurance company or traditional insurance brand that's now a financial service conglomerate mm. um, or a bank. And so that's one one route. So you can also fo- you can also follow the brand approach, um, or you can follow the independent approach. And the one of the, the the big advantage of the independent approach is that you are more likely to get an unbiased advisor that are really aligned to you and that are less conflicted and are providing more unbiased advice um, in terms of what they truly believe to be appropriate for you. And you, 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 sorry, you're talking about uh, an unbiased view because they may represent various different products rather than a brand that represents only their products. Is that correct? correct? Absolutely. So if you talk to me, it's quite clear that I'm not unbiased uh, because I represent Coronation Fund Managers. So Mm. so everything that I say, you have to filter through the understanding um, that I truly believe in coronation. That's why I've been here for a long time. Yeah, 20, pl- 20 that, plus that years. my view formed. of the world would be shaped by, by coronation's view mm. um, of the world and coronation's interests. An unbiased advisor should be completely free um, from any financial interest or link to um, a product supplier or a fund manager such as ourselves mm. so that they can objectively assess whether they believe what we say is appropriate um, and correct and whether they objectively believe that a fund manager such as ourselves um, is appropriate for inclusion um, in a client portfolio. And without fear or favor, if you believe that there's something better to do with the client's money to then make that switch and change, um, given all the, the, the consequences of a decision like that into account. So, so an unbiased advisor is on the side of the, of the, of the investor, of their client. It's more difficult to find them typically because they tend to be smaller businesses that are not um, as well branded. Mm. I mean, a good starting point for that is to look at the financial planning institutes um, uh, membership. So that those are the advisors with the highest standard of professional education, mm. um, subject to a code of ethics. So um, I mean, acting as professionals, they've got a website called um, letsplan.coza. Okay. Um, that you can help. That 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 can we that, we you can 
um, either find advisors or that you can use to um, to check that um, whether an advisor has the skills to do the job mm. um, offered. I did a little bit of research around this idea of trying to find someone, and one or two other questions that I think are fairly uh, important, not fairly important, probably very important, my top three anyway, is fee transparency. And the question around that is how do you actually make your money? Because that really does tell you a lot about the, the, the extent to which this person is invested in you and your, your money's growth, I think. I think. The, the other one was, and to I think your point, which is regulatory controls. Are they members of some kind of body? Are there, are there safeguards in oh. place? And then the, the other one was also experience. To your point of in the institutions, Coronation being one of them, you yourself being with Coronation for 20 plus years, uh, that's where suddenly this experience thing becomes really important. Um, just just a, a word or two around fees from yourself. It's a, a topic that has become quite controversial. There's a lot of noise mm. uh, around around fees, and rightly so, because effectively the fee that you pay reduces the end value of your investment mm. and paying a high fee for a substandard outcome will leave you much worse off. Mm. So there's a, there's a lot of focus on, on fees um, at the moment. A lot, of the, a lot of the noise about fees come from um, the passive investment industry. So um, for it's a it's a debate that's been ongoing for uh, the last decade or so between active managers such as ourselves and passive managers who say you know, it's it's hard to outperform so let's not try. Um, the benefit of that is it makes things cheaper. So that mm-hmm. debate is not settled uh, by any means and has been ongoing for um, for years now. And so that that put more emphasis on fees and that's good. The, the question really is about value for money. What is the what is the net after fee outcome um, that you receive in, as an investor, and if if that is meaningfully better than the average alternative or the market index, then the fee that was the input isn't um, wasn't that much um, of a problem. Mm. Um, having said all that, um, I think we are in an environment where, in terms of fee for investment management um, and administration of your investment account and the I mean, for, for those two elements inclusive or value added tax should probably not exceed one and a half percent or so so that okay. that roughly would be a okay. that roughly would be a guide and that that's both fund management and admin you know I don't want to get too technical uh, but roughly speaking you shouldn't I mean, you probably shouldn't pay more than around a percent. Um, for the investment management component and more than half a percent for the admin component mm. and probably less. And for advice fees, you know, that, that the, the typical sort of rate would be something between half a percent um, and three quarters of a percent. So that's sort of where, 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 the, where, the, where the market pricing is at the moment. Um, the question, the key question becomes, I mean, what is the value that I receive in return for the fees um, that I pay? Mm. So if I pay, I mean, if I pay a half a percent fee premium, but I receive a net benefit of a percent and a half or two percent um, in higher returns, I mean, the, the half percent fee is not that relevant. Yeah. If, then I, don't, if I don't receive the benefit, clearly then it becomes a problem. Yeah. 
Yeah, Peter, thank you. This is this is a really rich conversation. You're helping a lot of us to be able to clear some of the smoke that sometimes gets in the way of us being able to make clear decisions. I'm going to keep on asking you, you questions until you tell me to stop. Uh, I, I do want us to quickly talk a little bit about, you, you spoke about the three different types of needs. And then there, of, co- of course, are going to be products and that are connected to those kinds of needs maybe you can just give us an idea of what is available so let's talk about investing for immediate income for a moment then we'll go into income and growth and then we'll do the long-term capital growth um, component immediate income what i want to sound intelligent here what's favorable (laughs) when when it comes to immediate income product offerings immediate income you've you've got an investment horizon up to three maximum five years so you're in the territory where um, your sort of baseline or benchmark product becomes something like a, a, a fixed deposit um, at a bank okay. um, or um, a retail savings bond um, issued by Treasury. Mm. And that will give you um, a known yield or rate of interest that you can earn. Um, in the investment industry, we, we, we would run, um, we run funds, managed income funds. In Coronation's case, strategic income. And what we try and do is to give a return that is a little bit better than you can get um, fixed deposit without um, increasing um, the risk profile. And beyond that, so, I mean, so you are in a space where if you want to return higher than that, then you would earn in cash. Um, you do have to take a little bit more risk, but you constrain that risk. Mm. Um, so you try uh, with a high uh, level of confidence Deliver returns that are not too far off cash when things go wrong. So mm. you want sort of if, if you can get six and a half percent as a money market rate of interest in the current environment, you would want your managed income fund to give you a return um, in that sort of interest rate environment or somewhere between say three and a half, four percent um, up to ten percent in a in a really great outcome. Mm. Um, mm. But you want to stay fairly close to that sort of um, cash type return. So. So it's basically the, the, the short answer when you start with I mean, the bank deposits or retail savings bonds as less risky mm. um, implementation vehicles. So if you take a little bit of market risk, um, you'd probably do so through a managed income fund. Yeah, and we're not talking about huge amounts of risk. We're talking about small amounts uh, in terms of the difference between what you're describing. Correct. I mean, so just to give you a practical example, um, you, would, you would invest in instruments debt instruments issued by, um, for example, banks mm. um, with a, a term of, say, two years um, rather than 32 days. So it's not like a, it's not a call or an overnight deposit. It's just like a longer-term deposit. The bank pays you more interest for committing to um, a, longer, a longer period. But in exchange for that, if interest rates were to move next week and that same two-year deposit made a week or two later, um, would then pay a higher rate of interest, you won't get the benefit mm. um, of that because you've, you've now locked in a rate for a period. So it's that, it's, it's the, the risk is at that level. Um, so it's fairly moderate and benign. So I mean, I mean, so there are the potential in some of the underlying instruments for small negative price movements, but the way you put them together in the portfolio, um, it's highly unlikely that you will have a negative return over a three-month period. As I said, you can expect a return not too far off catch. Um, in any given 12-month period. Negative moves are always going to be around, and that's, that, that's the risk that we're talking about. Then we move into a, a different need, which is income and growth. That, that's a little bit more complicated. How does one then navigate that? 
that's that's the toughest of the needs um, to do well. It, it, it really is um, quite hard because what you what you are looking at is an investor that now has a pool of capital and needs to draw an income from this pool of capital, and it's typically um, an investor with a long time horizon. So, I mean, if you think about the the typical retirement environment, so most people would like to retire somewhere in their sixties. Life expectancy um, when you're in your early 60s in South Africa is around 20 years, mm. uh, in your early 80s. Um, so half of people in the early 60s will live longer than 20 years. You know, so you're sort of you're talking about a, up to a 30-year type time horizon that mm. you need to plan to make your income last. At a four and a half five percent inflation rate, you know you're going to need your capital base to maybe triple or, or quadruple mm. um, over the time horizon to protect your purchasing power. So, but this only all, all happens while you need to draw four or five or six percent, uh, whatever the percentage is, out of your portfolio every year for current living expenses. Mm. So that's so that because you need to do both of these things, um, it's quite tough. So the way that you try and meet that need or the way that we try and fund that need in an appropriate way um, is through multi-asset portfolios with moderate risk budgets. So sorry for the jargon, but what no, that no, means, it's um, it's a fund that can invest in a lot of different asset classes, okay. but where we constrain the amount of the capital that we put at risk um, of shorter markets movements. So, so you would have a limit on the amount of um, exposure that you'll have to the equity markets mm. and to property, um, for example. And you try and balance the, the, the capital stability in the portfolio um, with a rate of growth that's still uh, around three, four percent ahead of inflation, um, to allow you to, to draw growing income from that portfolio over time. So naturally, here there has to be a little bit more risk. The additional risk is introduced by the need to make capital last mm. um, over an investment period while you're drawing while you're drawing down money, and this typically happens in a life stage where the investor has less opportunity to replace lost capital. So if you're 40 and working, um, if something goes wrong, you know, there's enough time to reinvent yourself and try something else. Yes. You know, there's hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you're 70 and retired, I mean, you're probably at sort of peak capital. I mean, you're probably not going to, there are less opportunities to, um, through the sort of, the sweat of your brow through your labour mm. um, to go and um, to go and augment a capital base. So that yes, that makes it a um, a tougher a tougher investment objective. Let's then jump into the last one, which is the long term capital growth. It feels like long term capital growth, but again, depending on risk appetites, would be a fairly safe uh, way or approach to be to investing. The great benefit here is if you if you remind yourself, and that, that's why that upfront framing is so important. So if you remind yourself that this is a multi-decade endeavor um, mm. that I've got lots of time, it is the it's the, it, it's by far the coolest place to be mm. as an investor. There's mm. no doubt about that. Because if you remember that you've got a long time horizon, you don't have to get stressed out about big moves in capital value in the short term. So you know, so you don't get stressed. By the market going down five percent in a month because there's a the market's throwing a tantrum because it's worried about Donald Trump starting a trade war with the Chinese. Yeah, so I mean, I'm I'm, so I'm tough, having heart palpitations man. already. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Or or, or, you, or you don't get too stressed out that you've got four percent or three percent of your portfolio and Facebook and um, Mark Zuckerberg 
allowed other people to steal um, the user's data. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like that stuff doesn't stress you out mm. because you know that there's so much time still that needs to elapse that you can recover um, from the data gyrations, gyrations of the market. So mm. that enables you to to have more risky assets or more growth assets in your portfolio to have a higher expected return. Um, and because there's no there's no path dependency, sorry, more jargon, but you don't have the same problem that the income and growth investor has where next year's outcome or the year after's outcome can be quite badly impacted by a tough year this year. Mm, mm, um, good point. So you have the ability um, to withstand a higher risk profile and therefore you can invest in assets that over time are much more likely to give you better returns and better outcomes. So... So again, for the simplest approach is, is a, is a multi-asset fund to, to meet the long-term growth need and one that can balance, um, exposure across asset classes, um, both in South Africa, um, and in, um, global markets outside of South Africa. I, I, I mean, obviously, you can make that more complicated if you want to mm-hmm. and you can have all kinds of of strategies, but that's the simplest way of doing it. Yeah, I did want to talk about the the local versus abroad thing in these kinds of products and funds. What we're going to what we're going to see, as as you've highlighted, is various asset classes. Also, we're going to see, and I'm going to just use my semi semi knowledge of this here, but we're going to see multi industry or um, investments. But then we also are going to see local investing and investing abroad. Is there a one or the other approach here? Are we able to just go abroad because we feel like that is right? Or do you pull the reins there and say, look, actually abroad isn't as peachy as you think it is just because there's some concerns and perhaps uncertainty here in South Africa? Yes, again, it's a, it's a, it's a big topic. Um, but the, the, the basic answer in investments always, prudence, diversification, mm. um, and Owning a portfolio that can give you a decent outcome under a variety of different paths that mm. the future may take. And that's why you diversify. So it's, it's, it's really a good idea to just have investments in South Africa or to just have all your um, investments um, offshore. So the, the right blend between the two de- depends very much on personal circumstances. Mm. And so not, not, all fa- not all families are the same. And, you know, so there are no, there are no, straightforward answers. The, the starting point is if you look at what's called the prudential um, regulations that apply to um, retirement funds, that basically says a good asset allocation for a retirement investor is to have not more than 30% of your assets abroad, mm-hmm. not more than 10% invested um, in the rest of Africa, um, not more than 75% of your um, investments in, in shares. So that's sort of a starting point um, for how to allocate the risk budget. So that's the sort of, that's the, that's the sort of call it the core allocation decision that the entire South African savings industry is organized around because that's the way, um, that, that's, those are the rules that, that the bulk of the money is, is managed to. Mm. Um, but that, that sort of allocation is consistent with an expectation of earning a return of inflation plus five or six percent um, over time for a round investor, so, so that that's a sort of a good that's sort of a good starting point. But what you must remember is that um, there's a continuum that runs from prudent long-term investing um, on the one extreme to um, outright speculation and day trading on the other extreme, mm-hmm. and the stuff we do. 
may, from a day-to-day basis, look a bit boring because it's closer to the that prudent, diversified, long-term um, investment portfolio. But it's also proven to be sustainable, and it's also considered responsible um, in the way that you manage risk. I must step in there and say there's nothing boring about the rates of return that you guys are offering on a consistent basis. I've seen it. I'm very attracted to it. There's nothing boring about <laughs> nothing boring about that. I'll take that. <laughs> um, as our conversation draws to a close, I do want to just ask two very quick questions. So first, there are going to be a lot of the people who are listening to this, our listeners, our future CEOs community that are entrepreneurs, they are married to some of their businesses. It always is a very, very close relationship there. How do you pr- protect this per- your personal investments from this business risk? I think we, we briefly touched on this um, in our prior conversation because the, the, the big issue here is that if you are an entrepreneur, you should pour every ounce of your energy um, into your business mm. because that's going to make it much more likely that you're going to be successful. It, there will probably be always more opportunities than you have capital to pursue. So mm. you would want to have most of your capital invested in your business as well. That That's also understandable. Um, however, I mean, from a risk management point of view, it does make sense to have a little bit of money set aside um, specifically for uh, retirement in a more diversified type portfolio. And one of the one of the attractive benefits of you know remember I talked about investment strategies, mm. funds that we spend most of the session on, and products which are the, the tax wrappers uh, or the protection um, legal structures that you can use to house assets. And one of the great attractions of, um, of retirement assets um, is that you have protection from most creditors um, in um, the case of insolvency mm. um, for your retirement savings. So basically how it works is if you buy a retirement annuity um, fund, which is just a tax wrapper to give you the retirement benefits, um, the, the sort of key trade-off that you need to make is you need to understand that you get tax breaks, which is good, mm-hmm. but because you get the tax breaks, you get the tax breaks solely because this is money that will fund your retirement, which, is a, which means you're not going to ask government to give you an old age pension. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, you can't, you can't access this money um, yes. until you turn 55, mm. protected, um, even from you, mm. um, until you, you, you reach age 55. But at the same time, it's protected from creditors um, in, in the case of insolvency. So the only, um, the, the only, the only credit you can't get away from is um, SARS, unfortunately. So if you own income tax, they can take some of your um, your RO money, but none of your other creditors, um, in the case of insolvency, would be able to to access the fund. So, so that is a great vehicle um, to give you um, some protection um, against the vagaries and the risk um, of being in business for your own account. I love what you said, which was even uh, protection against yourself. <laughs> so sometimes we need that. Yeah, and we do. Sometimes we make foolish decisions, and that, that sounds like a really good way to be able to protect. Um, your future. Finally, 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 we've spoken about a lot. It's really, in essence, been an, a masterclass on how to start investing. And so we're very, very grateful. These kind of conversations often result in more questions being needed to answer. Where do we go to seek this kind of advice? You, you either need to be prepared to do a lot of work yourself. Yes. And it's not only the technical stuff, it's also the emotional stuff. And there's, I mean, so there's a lot of, there's a lot you can read online and increasingly and you're starting to see more sophisticated and guidance or um, automated advice uh, processes that can give you a feel for the sort of planning tool. So you can certainly, with some work, do it self-help. Many, many um, investors still believe that 
um, figuring out with a trusted advisor is it's a little bit like finding a GP or a dentist. Mm -hmm. um, if, and if, if you, I mean, so test drive a few, if you find one um, that you connect with and that you really like, it can make a big difference over time. Peter, the, our conversation has come to an end, rather not because I don't have any more questions, but rather just because we've run out of time. Thank you so very much for your time. Peter Kukumud, Head of Personal Investments from Coronation. Thank you, Peter. Great. Thanks. Good chat. This Future CEO's conversation was proudly brought to you by Coronation. Ups, downs, good days and bad. Since Coronation started 25 years ago, through the highs and lows, they work every day to make your money work for you. Coronation. Trust is earned. A lot can happen in a day. A lot has happened since the day Coronation started 25 years ago. The first democratic election in 94, rugby champions in 95. Two Nobel Peace Prize winners, one indomitable and Cosy Johnson, but there was also the 2008 crash and global recession. Then, what a day when we kicked off the World Cup. South Africans united, we pushed on and believed. Unbelievable, unbelievable. From the day Coronation started, through the highs and the lows, we've worked every day to earn your trust and make your money work for you. To invest your money today, visit coronation.com. Coronation. Trust is earned. Coronation is an authorized financial services provider and approved manager of collective investment schemes. This is cliffcentral.com.